Do you ever find yourself holding back important stuff from your spouse? Maybe you don't say the thing that needs to be said, or maybe you don't fully let go in the bedroom. Maybe you're just trying not to rock the boat. That fear is keeping you from having the intimacy and connection that you desire. Today's guest, Chief Wild Woman, Tanya Whittle, shares how we can turn fear into courage. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Yeah, welcome to the show. This is Danielle and Justin. hey Yeah, we're so glad you're joining us. This is episode 82. And our guest today is coach and speaker. Well, she calls herself Chief Wild Woman. I love that. I know. It's I think very... you're the Chief Wild Woman. Uh, no. Wait till you meet Tanya. You'll, you'll figure it out. Ooh. Tanya Whittle shares her journey from um, being scared all the time to stepping boldly into her marriage by sharing difficult truths uh, from her past. And you'll find out what that's all about. And she'll call out five ways fear is harming our marriages and ways we can embrace courage with our spouse. Courage! Did you like my gun show when I said courage? I didn't see the gun show. I was looking at the monitor. but, But I appreciate the Oprah voice. Oh, that was kind of an Oprah voice, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, honey, I'm curious. What do you think is a way that fear shows up in our relationship? I can never have the right answer. No, no, that's the fear. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think that's the right answer. <laughs> no, See? for real. <laughs> See? The, for, you're being for real, though. Yeah. You think you don't ever have the right answer? Everything from no, no. It's the I don't think that I'm. I know I have the right answers. It's it's the fear of not having the right answer, or I should to be really clear, the fear that you aren't ready for the right answer yet. <laughs> I don't know how to roll my eyes so that it shows up on the podcast so that our listeners can get the full effect of. Just be my- careful. We're running low on Excedrin. Oh, geez. Okay. You don't want to roll them too hard. <laughs> okay, so for me, I yeah. think... No, but you're serious. You think that you're, your sure, answers are not going to be right. Sure, I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want to disappoint you or the girls. I, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't want you to disappoint <laughs> you us like either. You like how I just say that so matter-of-factly? Like, oh, yeah, I'm terrified of being a disappointment. Yeah. No, but I think that's, I mean, it's taken all me of us years have a little of work bit of fear and, to, and countless hours with Chris, uh, Bruno, my therapist, too. Yeah, who's to, been on the show. To, uh, to come be able to just go, oh, yeah, it's this. But okay. there you go. And it has to do with stories from it's your past. It's all paid off. Which we will talk about in the show. Sometimes stories from our past uh, trigger fears that we have in the current day. Oh, yay. We're going to talk about that. Awesome. No, we're not going to talk about yours. Oh, good. Tanya's going to talk about hers. Good. Nobody, nobody needs to hear that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's Junk another show. show. All right. Um, 
<laughs> no, Tanya does share about how a very difficult story from her past influences. Sometimes it'll trigger that past experience and then you just lash out at your spouse. And I think we all kind of do that. We're very guilty of it. But um, I know that you are not on this episode. You are not in this interview. Honey. Yeah, I've missed a couple lately. I missed you, but also the Chief Wild Woman and I really will. I can. I. We really I can bring only it. imagine. I can't wait to hear it. Um. Yeah. Well, let's just get to it. Here's the interview with Tanya Whittle. Today on the podcast, we have Tanya Whittle. She is the Chief Wild Woman. That is her title. That is her title. She's a coach and speaker, retreat leader, and she helps women reclaim their power in life by helping them reclaim all parts of themselves that have been lost in the past. And her goal is to help women go from fear to courage by truly letting their walls down. Welcome to the show, Tanya. We're so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. Now, Chief Wild Woman, seriously, what I've got to know, how did you get the title? That's literally your title, Chief Wild Woman. So I want to know how you get the title. So one of the great things about being self-employed, I think, is that you just get to decide what your title is going to be. You know, who am I going to be when I grow up? So that kind of took me a long time to figure out who I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I got out of university and then I got a job that I didn't love. And I eventually found myself in the gym. And I loved the gym and I loved fitness and I loved working out and I loved all of those things. And I loved, you know, how I found myself in the gym, you know, through fitness, through exercise. And I wanted to teach that to other people. So I got into the fitness industry and as a roundabout way sort of ended up here uh, because I started to ask those questions. Why do we not really change? Why can't people seem to change? And that led me on a very wild journey of my own that kind of started with like looking at, you know, what happens to us when we're faced with, with actually changing? Why are we so scared to change? Mm, and, scared to change. So yeah. you kind of keyed into that there's a fear factor involved there. There really is. And what I started to notice was that, you know, it wasn't just showing up for people in the gym. It was showing up for them in their marriages. It was showing up in their, all of their relationships and their friends, their families, their careers. It was this, this trickle out effect that was kind of going like shrapnel going everywhere in their lives. And I then had my own wake up call, uh, so to speak of kind of realizing that how am I letting fear dictate and control my own life? What I started to uncover was I was really too scared. It was like, I was always going 99% of the way, but never taking that final step. I would become frozen in fear. Mm. And then I thought, but why am I frozen in fear? What am I afraid of? Nothing logically made sense that I was afraid of, afraid to go all in in my marriage, afraid to go all in in my business. Um, and you know, if you want anything to work, you've got to be all in. So what was stopping me from being all in? And I looked back at, at things and it, I started to take this emotional journey of saying, why am I, what am I so afraid of was the first question that I asked. Mm. And that was when I uncovered my childhood abuse. Now I, I had always known I was abused. It wasn't something that I couldn't remember and uncovered in this journey because it was a decade long, um, sexual abuse that had happened by uh, a mentally ill uncle that lived next door. So mm -hmm. I'd always known it had happened, but I didn't want it to have impacted me. So I took it and I kind of took it away and I put it in this little box 
And then I stuffed it away, like in a closet in my mind somewhere. And I made a decision that that didn't impact me. It didn't change my life. But I mean, obviously, as we could sit here today and say, well, how could that be? Obviously, something that dramatic, you know, has impacted my life. And when I started to face that and kind of take everything out of that box and realize, you know, who I had become as a result of that was very fear-based because, you know, I was scared all the time. So anything that I did, what were you, what was the specific fear that, I mean, I totally make sense that if you were abused as a kid, that you would be fearful. What were some of the fears that you uncovered? This is where, you know, trauma and logic don't always go together. So we can't always map everything out. Like what I started to uncover was I was actually just afraid. I was afraid all the time. And when I would get scared, I would freeze. And when I would freeze, I would become immobilized and paralyzed with, with anything that I wanted to do. So whether it was in my business or, you know, taking those next steps in my relationship, I was unable to do anything. So I would change directions. Mm. So I was constantly changing directions and I could never stay truly focused to, to that future that I wanted to create because when I was going there, I would hit that wall and then I would just... Mm-hmm. go go somewhere else. And I didn't consciously know that I was doing this, but it was in that question of why do I feel so afraid all the time that I then started to uncover that that fear was actually traced back to my childhood. And that had never really gone away until I decided that I needed to truly heal that piece. I, I love how you're saying, you said you would go like 99% of the way, but you would never like fully go all in. There was parts of the you that were holding back or parts that were just, you know, in freeze mode. That totally makes sense. Cause I'm sure during your childhood, there were plenty of times where you're just like, I can't go there. I can't think about it. I can't like fully be present here to protect my heart, I have to not be a hundred percent here or absolutely. And this happens not just with sexual abuse victims. I mean, this would certainly happen with anyone who grew up in a volatile situation at home, whether it's fighting or drug abuse or alcohol or, you know, like any instability for, for children. Um, it's a very vulnerable time for us and our brain doesn't react the same way as someone who didn't have trauma early on in their life. So, and many of us don't understand what trauma would look like because we've only, we're really only learning the effects of, of, you know, this kind of trauma today, as opposed to, you know, many of us have always thought that the only people who could get PTSD was people who, you know, have been to war zones. And then that started to expand to our first responders. But now we're actually realizing that anyone can, can develop and, and actually get you know, suffer from trauma. And I think that there's many of us who are really walking through the world who are being triggered by things from their past that they really don't realize, you know, because you go, well, why would your sexual abuse interfere with your business? The two things don't necessarily logically make sense, but the fear is what's driving everything. Yeah. Now you, you speak to, it sounds like a lot of your clients have had trauma in their past and they're now dealing with fear to the current day, are there people that maybe did not have a traumatic upbringing that are still letting fear rule in their lives? What does that look like for people who, you know, maybe they don't have a trauma story? So I actually um, call it the trauma of life. (laughs) And I know that that kind of sounds a little silly, but, you know, 
there is the conditioning of life. You know, at some point we're all going through grade school and, you know, um, junior high and high school where we're putting ourselves out there. We're vulnerable. We may be being bullied. Okay, Tanya, you can just stop at junior high school. That's all you need to say. You should have just said junior high school and then, okay, next question. That's all we need. need. Junior high school, you're already traumatized. (laughs) And that's pretty much what happens is that we go through life and whether or not you've had major trauma or not, fear is leading. For most people, it's leading our lives. I mean, we've all heard of the saying that there's only two, two real places and one is fear and one is love. And for many of us, we're truly coming from a place of fear because we're so afraid to be seen, so afraid to be vulnerable, so afraid to be hurt and rejected at our truest self. So we're always kind of putting masks on Mm -hmm. to be what the world is constantly telling us to be. So I hear you saying when you're acting out of a fear place, no matter what your past story is, there's some traumatic kind of a thing that the fear is linked back to. And it's kind of like, it makes your fear go into overdrive or it makes it come to the forefront. Absolutely. And that can be a belief system, a life experience or a traumatic event. It doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. Some of us have had all of them. And some people just have a belief system that's getting in their way that formed from junior high. I have, I actually have a story like that. And it really did. I had to do some serious healing around it. And it's one of those things where it almost, it's just like a mean girls story. Like it's like the mean girls movie. It it sounds funny when I relive it. It's like, oh, I was in eighth grade and this girl was mean to me. And it's almost sounds comical, but the truth is it formed parts of my heart that really were raw, really were wounded. And I brought that into my friendships as an adult. And it it actually took my husband, Justin, to point out, why are you mean to people when you meet them? I don't know. I don't know why I'm mean to people. Generally, I'm a nice person. But it was that I would put up a wall because I was like, I'm not going to be hurt like that person hurt me. And it was something that stuck with me for a very, very long time. So when you said junior high, I was like, I got that story. Um, but, but like you said, if you can identify it, you can heal through it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for so many of us, at somewhere along the way, this is life. Nobody's life is perfect. And, you know, we all have things, we've all been hurt, we've all been wounded at some point. And, you know, we might look back and say, oh, that just seems so silly because it was just this mean girl story. But junior high can be, you know, the point of time where we're really truly coming out into our own. It's that rite of passage where we're being ourselves and we want to be, you know, we want to fit in and we want to belong and we want to have friends. And then we get rejected at the core of who we are. So then we start to become what the world told us to be. Yeah. There's also something really cool about that age too, your teenage years where you do come into your own, you know, you kind of get the, Oh, it's the clicks or whatever. It's the band people. It's the music people. It's the drama people. It's the jocks. It's the, everybody kind of finds their group. But what's cool about that is in elementary school, everybody just does the same. Everybody does the same thing. There's no individual you shine as an artist or a musician or an athlete. And what's really cool about those junior high, high school ages, if you really embrace it, you really are coming into who you are. So that's a really cool age too. 
It really is. And I think that, you know, that's where things kind of go wrong is that no one ever taught us emotional intelligence. So instead of teaching us that it was okay to be different and that it's okay to not be liked by everyone and how to actually stay open in, in that fear and in that hurt and in those things, what ends up happening is that most of us have learned to build walls. What I say is we built walls instead of using shields. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. So the truth is we have... As adults, most of us haven't done the emotionally intelligent thing and healed through those junior high and high school and really, truly traumatic events from our past. And we have five ways that fear is harming our marriages. Why don't you start sharing some of those with us? Because I'm sure that we are going to resonate with most of these. Well, the top five that I find that in our marriages For many people, there's a major fear of intimacy, major fear. The second one is a major fear of trust. Third one will be a major fear of being seen. And then being vulnerable for many of us, there's a vulnerability that that comes from from all of those things of allowing someone to truly see who we are uh, that many of us are really scared of. And then I would say that the, the fifth one is the fear of rejection. And it can seem silly when we're married to have those fears of being seen, of being intimate. Um of being vulnerable and and ultimately that fear of rejection. But those are kind of the top five that I see in most of the married people that I coach. Yeah. So I'm just thinking the first one, intimacy. And I know that this can be, some couples are really great at talking about like, I'm assuming you're talking about sex lives and emotional intimacy, kind of both of them combined. Intimacy to me is both of those combined because I think sex is easy for most of us. Um, but truly connected. You mean like tab A, slot B kind of thing? Yeah, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like easy to just, you know, what is it? uh, The biology of it works out. Like, yeah. Exactly. It's kind of easy for most people, even, you know, even in that emotional shutting down. Like I talk to a lot of married people who are not connected and they are not having what we call conscious sex. They are having unconscious sex and there's not really a deep, profound connection in that place, it's we're having sex and that's what we're doing. And I could go have sex with a stranger and still, you know, kind of, you know, get what I need from that physical connection. But for most people, we need that deep, intimate connection that comes with sex, with intimacy, with true intimacy of being able to look in each other's eyes, of being able to be fully open and expressive of doing, you know, whatever it is that floats your boat, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, being able to be, you know, like a freak in the sheets and whatever it is that you really want is to truly open. And a lot of people are really scared of that because they're scared to show that sexual side of themselves, you know, in that place because it's, they're, they're in their most vulnerable when they have no clothes on and they're fully exposed. Yeah, I would think there's probably a lot of fears wrapped up in that, you know, just the sexual act, like maybe you don't have a good self-image, maybe, you know, you need to lose 50 pounds, maybe, maybe there is a bit of a biological glitch or dysfunction or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you're afraid to kind of go there. And what if you fully engage in it and it still doesn't work? And right. Yeah. And if you're like fully, you know, if you're in fear or thinking about your body or thinking about your roles or what your butt looks like or anything other than being fully in the moment, Mm -hmm. then that intimacy, that true connection is not really there. 
Well, and too, if you even just think about like, you want a connection, you want an orgasm, you want, there's lots of things that you want in that type of space. But if you're concerned about your roles and, oh, my butt looks weird and all that, the truth is orgasms are a lot harder to come by if you got your head going on this crazy train about your roles. Like exactly. And so truly being able to be intimate with someone is, you know, and if there's lies, if there's things in between there, if you are, have been pretending that you are someone you're not, if you've got masks up because you're afraid that other person's not going to love you for who you really are, or if you are hiding, you know, maybe some traumatic event that's happened to you in your past. I have coached a lot of women who have been abused, have had sexual interference in their life, have been raped. And their partner, their husbands do not know. How is that possible? Because it happened as children. They're so afraid to open that box, to put that out there. So imagine if this thing is in between you and your partner. Yeah. How can you truly be open with them when you're not even yourself? Yeah. So that, that fear of intimacy can be big for people. And when we're looking at things like we're seeing the Me Too movement, right? I mean, this is huge right now. And so when you look at the Me Too movement, I mean, how many women are not impacted in some way, shape or form by some kind of abuse or harassment or something? And I mean, it's not every woman, but I mean, the statistics are showing us one in four. So if you think about all the women that you know, it's one in four, but then you have to realize statistically it's one in six for men as well. So if there's any of this stuff going on in people's lives, I mean, and I'm only talking about this one thing, imagine if there's financial stuff in the way, because maybe you're running a business and things are not going well, or you've lost money, or you have an addiction, you know, a drug, alcohol, or any other kind of an addiction. It's not even that you're not in love with the person that you're with, because that relationship might be the absolute best relationship for you. That might be your one year soulmate, but it's that fear of being fully open and letting that person see you because you see, you might think that they'll see you as being broken. They so might- what can you do if you realize that you have these walls up? as far as intimacy goes, you have the walls up really high. Maybe you have secrets that haven't been revealed or, you know, you're just having trouble in that area. How can you heal through that fear of intimacy? You've got to really deal with your stuff is, is kind of the core of that is that you really have to get into some of that stuff and you have to deal with and heal it and be willing, I think, to really open up to the person that you're with and realize that if you're in a marriage with someone and you can't share everything with them and for them to be able to see you through that, yes, they may be angry. Yes, there may be some of those things that are going to happen for all of us in marriages when we kind of have to like, you know, kind of show our bits and pieces that we've been hiding. Literally. Um, <laughs> all of the bits and pieces. Ultimately, you come down to the part of that. If this is who your life partner is, they deserve to know everything about you. And you deserve to be in an, in an environment and in a marriage where you're supported by that other person. What, I, so lo- I, what I love about this is it's hard work, but it's not brain surgery. Like not. tell the story, open your mouth and say the hard, but it's the hard stuff, the stuff that you have to say, because there's a lot of healing in just saying it. Of course, there's going to be some processing that has to go. There's, there's going to be maybe therapist appointments and things like that. But 
I feel like there's a lot of healing that just verbalizing it can do too. Absolutely. It's, you know, and then that, that kind of leads to the other ones, which is being seen. I'm afraid that if they really see me or if I show them my scars or my wounds or my bits and pieces, then they're not going to love me. We're afraid of that being seen. Look, this is all of me. This is my fears. This is what I'm scared of. I'm scared that you're going to leave me because, you know, this happened. I'm afraid that you'll think I'm broken. I'm afraid you'll look at me different. I'm afraid you'll pity me or any of these other things, you know, that sometimes people keep things in because they don't want the other person to look at them differently. They don't want that person to see them as broken. They want their partner to see them as whole. And so that, that continued, but that's all fear. But if they're not going to see you as whole, if you're holding back half of yourself. <laughs> exactly. And the, what you think that they're seeing as whole is actually only half of you. So yeah. you know, when you actually show them everything, if they can't accept that, then, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a much bigger conversation. I think too, your desire when you get married is to feel seen and heard and known that kind of a place because when you come up with those things where you're just like, I expect my spouse just to know me and read my mind and I shouldn't have to say the thing about what he's supposed to get me for my birthday and he should just know that he should help me with dinner or whatever it is which by the way, is not necessarily realistic to expect somebody to read your mind. Especially but, when you tell them that it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Especially <laughs> when you totally don't say what's going on. But like, this is my ideal situation for my husband and I. Like if for some reason we had like this invisible cord that was like this brainwave telepathy kind of thing. And like not all the time, but when I want it, we can like share... <laughs> thoughts and emotions. And it can just be like a, you know, you just look at them and it's like, oh yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. And I don't even have to say it. But that's the thing with being seen is like, it's such a desire to be seen for who you truly are in your identity, who you were created to be. And I feel like it's really hurtful too, when your spouse doesn't fully know you or doesn't fully see you. Like if my husband were to, let's just say the gift idea, you know, if he were to get me some crazy, like fun, sparkly, you know, shirt for my birthday. And I'm like, I'm not a bling girl. I'm just not, I'm not a bling girl. Like that would injure my soul for him to do that to me. Cause I would feel so unseen, but part of people seeing you is to let them. Yes. And that's the, I think that's the conflict that many of us are in in relationships is that we desperately want to be seen, but we're also terrified of what that truly being seen really means. And that leaves us open, that leaves us vulnerable. And then if we show them who we are, and then we get that rejection, which that we're so scared of, then they were right when we were in junior high and we're not good enough. Mm. Bringing them back to junior high. Because everything comes back to some of our core wounding, right? Which means, what do I really think? What am I, what, not to, do I really think about myself, but what do I really fear is true? You know, we all have that shadow side of us, that those, those negative voices that tell us that we're not enough and that, you know, we'll never be good enough and all this stuff. So when we allow ourselves to be fully open to who we are, there's always that fear that they will reject us. Mm -hmm. And then if they reject us, then that, that makes that those voices were true and that we aren't good enough and that no one will want us. And it all comes back to this original core wounding, really. 
We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment, but we wanted to take a minute to talk about what it takes to build a legendary marriage. We're going to focus on community because we believe that isolation is the enemy of a legendary marriage and community is a big part of the solution. You see, the truth is your spouse cannot meet all your relational needs and it's crazy to try to make them. Doing so creates unneeded strain and codependence to simply not healthy. So men need to have connection and community with other good men. And women need same with other good women. And together you need a few couples who can stand with you as you wait find a way over, around, or through every challenge life has to offer. See, we all long for a place to belong to, for a people to belong to, a tribe where we're supported and encouraged, where we can do the same for others. And our community on Facebook makes it easy. This is a group where you can connect with other couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. So come join the conversation. Share your ideas, insights, experiences, victories, and failures in a circle of men and women who will support and encourage you. Be a part of this movement of couples. We're transforming their marriages and families forever. It's an amazing group. We hope to see you there soon. You can find us over at legendarymarriage.com slash community. And now back to the show. It's so true. Face your fears, like don't live out of a fear place, live in courage. But what if your fears are realized? What if they are true? In the area of trust, like that's one of your next ones that you want to talk about. Like, let's say you and your husband have had troubles with finances where one person is overspending and violating the budget and, you know, doing things like that. And you don't necessarily trust them. You're always worried that you're not going to be able to pay the rent because they blew it on a new iPhone or something like that. And the truth is, it's like you want to trust them and you want him to trust you. But there have been evidence that you're going to get burned if you trust again. Yeah. So what ends up happening really in that case is we're looking at triggers. So if you think about when anything happens, whether it's somebody burns us through like, you know, going out and buying things that we can't afford that's on the budget or having an affair or, you know, any of the things that are and, and the millions of things that are potentially issues for trust in a relationship, then what ends up happening is that something happens and it's like that piece of shrapnel and it gets stuck somewhere in your body. Physically, we store our pain. Most of us take it and we put it in this box like I did. We take this thing that happened and we put it in a box and then we shove it away and we don't actually deal with it. And I say, I trust you, but I don't actually trust you because what I've done is I've taken this big thing that you did and I actually put it in this box and I put it in the closet and I didn't actually deal with mm. all of the stuff that actually happened, truly emotionally dealt with it, allowed myself to truly express and experience the hurt, the pain, because when we get into that place, it's overwhelming. And we don't know how to stay there because most of us have also been taught, put your big girl panties on, you know, grow up or, you know, yeah, stiff upper lip and we're supposed to do this. And we think that forgiveness is one word, like, okay, I forgive you. But forgiveness is a lifetime process. And I think sometimes even our ability to be honest with that person and say, today, I'm struggling with trusting you. Mm. And that is hard. Because then we are afraid that, oh, we're going to hurt that person's feelings. They're not going to feel trusted and all of this stuff. But I think that, you know, truthfully, how we move from fear to courage is that ability for me to say to you, I'm struggling with trust in right now. I know that it might not be anything you're doing in this moment because 
that's what triggers are. It's why I was triggered in my business 30 years after I was abused that had nothing to do with my abuse because the trigger was planted. And then in order for me to truly get rid of the triggers that were causing me to freeze, I had to go back in and truly deal with my abuse. Mm. The same thing as anything. If you know you, if your partner had an affair, so then if you took that affair and you put it in the box and said, okay, I forgive you. Even if you did counseling and you did the things and you kind of come to that point, it's like, I think it's coming to the point for most of us where we have to recognize that there is no definitive time frame on when we're over things or when we heal because it leaves pieces behind. And I think in our ability to just be honest about what we're actually feeling and open communication is the key to overcoming and moving from fear to courage. And that is, I think, for most of us, the hardest thing. I like how you said to, you didn't say, I don't trust you. You said, I'm struggling with trust in this moment. So it's kind of like, I'm sharing what's going on with me. I don't know what you're doing or what's going on over there with you. It may just be that I'm triggered from that past event. And you're, you're kind of owning the fact that I'm triggered. Mm. Um, it may or may not have to do with what you're doing. I really like that piece. Well, if you think about this sometimes, have you ever been around a table? And I'm sure you have. But have you ever been around a table with a bunch of women who are complaining about their husbands? Yeah, it's super annoying. I just get up and leave. <laughs> so, but that is kind of one of the things. So imagine that, you know, I'm sitting at work or sitting out with a group of friends and I also don't engage in those kinds of behaviors because I think it's, it's pointless. Yeah. Um, and it's a real mood drag for everybody. But I mean, it's one thing if you want a solution and you want to have a serious conversation about it. But sure, just, sure, sure. Yeah. A bashing event. I mean, my, like you're supposed to be your partner's biggest fan, not, you know, their, their, um, worst enemy. <laughs> so, right. so one of the things that kind of happens though, sometimes is so you're sitting around and you've got this group of five or six women and they're all talking about their husbands and then they start one-upping each other on, you know, oh no, my partner's worse or this one's worse. And then they start telling those stories. Now let's imagine that they're talking about somebody who'd had an affair. Now let's say that your husband had an affair and now this is triggering old stuff for you. So you may go home and all of a sudden, as soon as you see your husband, he did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything today. He did something 10 years ago. He did something 10 years ago that you were mostly over, but now somebody else has brought something up. And what that is really doing is it's triggering things Mm. that may be still left in that old box of darkness that you've got. Mm. And so then you're getting upset with him. You could be angry with him and he's really doing nothing, but you're triggered. Yeah. So I feel like you're really like you're really doing yourself a service to check yourself in what's going on with you before you put it on the other person. I think that's kind of the the key there is to kind of look at like, am I just being triggered here? Is this is my fear um, unfounded? Is this like a trigger or is this a gut instinct that there's something going on? Mm-hmm. So there's a difference. And when we learn to figure out what the difference is, that can only be learned when we allow ourselves to step into fear. We have to be willing to sit in it and feel what we're feeling in the moment. So if I'm feeling triggered by something, if I'm angry with my partner and I just kind of sit there and I say, okay, I'm just going to let myself be angry here. I'm not going to go lash out at him. I'm going to go in my space and I'm going to let myself sit in what I feel. And then I'm going to figure this out. Okay. Is this a trigger? Or is there something that's telling me there's something going on? 
So then I get to figure out which, which course of action I take. If it's a trigger, I can clear it away and I can move on on my own without ever needing to say anything or bringing it up or even addressing it because it's pointless. It's not about him. What's really cool is, and I know that you're a huge advocate of this, but when you know yourself really well, which a lot of people don't, but when you know yourself really well, you are a reliable source to trust whether it's an old trigger thing or this is really something going on. Because I think some people don't even trust themselves. They don't trust their own gut. They don't trust their own spirit to say, this is my junk or no, there's something wrong here. I need to act. Yes. And most people are acting and they're acting from triggers and they're not acting from intuition. Reality. Yeah, reality or any of these, you know, things that are kind of drawing us to know that there's something that's off with our partner, there's something that's going on or a reason for us to really not be trusting and start asking some bigger questions in the moment and not just ignoring it. So, you know, the, the side goes is twofold. And I think, you know, you're right there when you say that is that the better we know ourselves, the more that we will know what, what is actually triggering us. And then we can know what, what our next course of action is. I think that's true with just fear in general too. Like there is legitimate fear. Like don't walk down the scary alley at four in the morning of like, there is like a legitimate fear of like, fear is there to protect you. And you just have to decide, is this a real safety concern? Or like, am I going to be harmed in this? Or... Is it just a wall, a protective thing, a trigger to an old past event? So some fear is actually valid. Like there is valid fear. Like do not get too close to the subway train as it goes by. That is scary. Yes, do not do that. That is scary. But your husband came home an hour late from work. Maybe not so scary. Maybe not. But I think that all fear is valid because when we allow ourselves to look at how we're reacting to things, what we're actually afraid of, then that will lead us to our core wounds. So it will, it will lead us through the irrational fear and then ultimately help us heal Mm -hmm. any core wounds that are, that are left behind or fear will actually be a real fear that we've realized that, okay, something has happened here or I am in danger, whether that is actual physical danger or, you know, emotional, financial, or any of these kinds of other dangers when we open ourselves up. But I think that all fear is valid because if we allow ourselves to go into it, it will teach us. Yeah. Fear can be our best teacher. It's a good checkpoint. Like, Okay, is this, you know, is this something that I really need to take notice of? Um, so one of the next things you talk about is vulnerability. Um, like if we're holding back vulnerability, it's harming our marriage. I feel like wh- what do you what is vulnerability? What are we talking about here? Vulnerability is the truth, really of who we really are. It's being, it's kind of the combination of everything else that we've already talked about. It's allowing ourselves to be seen. Like, here's my scar. When I, when I go to my husband and I had to tell him, because I was that person who was in that marriage with a man who didn't know about my past. And then when I had to tell him, it was the scariest moment of my life. You know, but I, I knew that I had to disclose this to him. We'd been married for eight years at that, or I don't, I don't know how many years. Eight, eight-ish years. We'll go with that. After a while. Um, but, you know, I was married to him a really long time. And 
And I like, we've been together for, you know, seven years before we got married. And so he, I hear I was with this big giant secret that he had no idea about. And I had to go and I had to sit down and I had to tell him to his face. Like I wanted to text him, but it was like, this is not a text conversation. You know, by the way, FYI, I've been dealing with some things and guess what? Um, I mean, that's not how that conversation goes. And I have a bit of a dark sense of humor at times. So, you know, but I had to go and I had to sit and I remember, it, I, it will never leave me as long as I live having to like I knelt on the floor when he was on the sofa and and I was like I have to talk to you and he was watching the game and he was okay you know like they do when they're into the game and he was like yeah yeah okay tell me tell me the commercial and I was like no you need to turn the tv off I have to tell you this and then you know you know when that moment happens where in in your relationship you know something big something serious is coming and you know I told him and I, there wasn't really anything there. It was just a space. And it was like, you know, but I mean, it's, it's something that's very scary because I was so scared that he was going to be so angry that I hadn't told him. I thought that he, what if he leaves me? What if he sees me as this broken person? What's it going to change? And the reality is it didn't change anything. Nothing changed when I told you him. You feel like there was, we had spoken of like, if you, if you're not forthcoming with something like that, there had been a wall up. And how was it different after you told him? Well, those walls were down because I wasn't protecting some big secret. So now there was a space for the intimacy to come, for the vulnerability to come, for the truth to be there, for trust to be between us. Because if I, if I had this big secret, what secrets did he have? And there was no reveal. It was just what I mean by that is that in that space, I was so scared of all of this stuff. Like what would it change and how would it impact us? But in reality, nothing really changed except things got way better. Mm. Like nothing got worse. That was my fears that things were going to get worse. He was going to leave me. He was going to be so angry. He was going to be not supportive. But in reality, it was just kind of like this big wall came down between us and intimacy went up and you know, um, I'm sure he was so tender for you for having to been not only abused, but having to be keeping this secret this whole time. Yeah. So it ended up really leaving down, taking down those walls. And that created a space for us to truly come together for me to really show him who I was. And Mm -hmm. I was even better authentically me than I was as the person that was kind of tiptoeing around. Mm, uh, I was more vibrant. I was vibrant. I was more attractive. I was able to really let go, you know, in, in all areas of our life because I wasn't kind of afraid all the time of what if he finds out. Yeah. And I hear you saying too, is like, if you are able to be a hundred percent vulnerable with your spouse, I feel like there's a spillover into so many other areas because he's the most important to you. If you can be super vulnerable with him, it's like now it's like the two of you are on the same page. It's you against the world and you are, you are able to embody being the chief wild woman at that point. 
Exactly. I was really then able to step into, you know, what my real purpose was in life instead of just, you know, and I mean, I love the fitness industry when I was in there and, and fitness is still a huge part of my life because it's a big coping tool. And I think it keeps our energy, you know, high vibing and like sure. all of this stuff and keeps our, our body clear and all and our minds and all of this stuff. So it's still a huge piece. But what I really wanted to do was this stuff, but I couldn't allow myself to do that because it was a big secret. And so I couldn't be authentic with other people and help take other people to, you know, who and where they were or if I wasn't being truthful in my marriage, in my relationships, in my friendships, in, in all areas of my life. So having finally got the courage to, to go in and kind of, you know, spill the beans, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, you know, all that's happened from that in showing my scars of what I thought, you know, the thought, the things that I thought were going to make him look differently at me, did make him look differently at me, but in a, in a good way, not in a yeah. bad way. Like I was scared in a very appealing way. Yes. And now I'm able to go out there and be that vibrant, um, person in the world of helping other women, you know, come home to who they are. It really helps us reclaim our power. And we're so and like Brenny Brown talks about this all the time, you know, which is vulnerability is our biggest fear. Mm-hmm. Gotta love me some Brene Brown. She's great. She's a truth speaker. Okay, so the last one is the fear that is harming our marriages is rejection. The thing that comes to my mind when I hear this is like, if somebody initiates like a sex, a sex act or whatever, it, whatever it is that they're initiating, I don't know, initiate, you know, making a new recipe or whatever it is. And you're kind of putting yourself out there. And it's like, mm, now, honey, I'm not digging it. And it's like, oh, I, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me. So maybe I just don't do it. Yeah. And that's become something that I see in a lot of marriages are even, you know, well, I just had a conversation actually, and it's kind of not quite about sex, but I was, I had a conversation with um, a client of mine who was in a relationship and then the relationship ended. And then, you know, now the relationship is kind of they're, they're still wishy-washy and they're still, it's all dripping all over the place. And the question that I asked was, what are you really afraid of, of going all in? She's like, I'm not afraid of being all in, you know, I'm, I, but I want to know that he's going to be all in. Mm. And so what we're all doing is we're all waiting for the other person to be all in, or we're waiting for the other person to initiate sex, or we're waiting for the other person to have the conversation that needs to be had, or we're waiting for the other person to kiss us or meet us at the door. You know, we're waiting for the other person to throw themselves into our arms or drop on their knees and, you know, proclaim their love to us, you know, fully and openly. And we're always waiting for the other person to do that. But in reality, you know, this is that, that because we're so afraid that if we do it, they're not going to reciprocate or they're not going to be in the mood or we're going to, it's the rejection. We're afraid that if I go all in first, or if I ask first, I'm going to be rejected. Tanya Whittle, chief wild woman. Thank you so much for being on the show. You have inspired us yes. to live uh, the true story and share the true story with your spouse. I mean, there's some difficult conversations to be had. I'm sure there's some conversation that every one of us is holding Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Every, there are always tough conversations to be had, no matter how good or how, how bad, quote unquote, bad your marriage is, how, where you're at in this moment, what the track record is. There's always opportunities. And that's what a legendary marriage is. It's where we take the opportunities to have courageous conversations 
and shoot for better. And I know she talks uh, about stories from your past. Yes. That you want to be able to share. But also there are stories that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something financial that you've been hiding. Or maybe, you know, there's some, you know, buddy at work that you've been having an emotional affair with. Whatever it is the thing that is holding you back that's creating that wall, you're not going to have the legendary connection that you want with your spouse if yeah. you're holding back the stories that matter. And if there's ever a place, a relationship in life, where we should be able to be 100% honest, 100% accountable, 100% real with each other, it really should be a marriage, right? Yep. So. Amen. All right, so here's the conversation starter this week. Do you find yourself walking on eggshells around certain topics? Maybe it's from the present, past. Maybe it's something about the future. Have that tough conversation that needs to be had. And as always, we're talking about the topics from the podcast and much more in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes over at legendarymarriage.com slash 08. Finally, we want to help more couples have conversations that matter. So if you love this show, then please let us know. Jump over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary.